Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Welcome to episode 81 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everyone. Tonight, we look at a rip-roaring adventure as we check out the Michelle Yeoh classic, Magnificent Heroes, because Michelle Yeoh obviously has a new movie out in the cinemas at the moment, unless you're here in the UK, in which case you're just left looking into the void where a Michelle Yeoh movie should be. But uh, before we obviously uh, start voicing our grievances on that and obviously discussing more importantly our, fate, our movie for this evening, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest, if anything? Well, obviously what I haven't been watching and it's, is everything everywhere all at once, which, as I was telling you, <laughs> to say, isn't it? <laughs> which I I had thought I was going to go and see this week. and just to... I love us thought we were going to go and see it this week. <laughs> and just assumed. But there we go. Never mind. Right, I have watched um, something. Um, I've got to review it. I've got to review it over on um, Eastern Kicks, but I've only I've only watched it. I haven't put any words down yet. Um, the Funeral, 1984 film by fastly becoming one of my favourite directors, um, the late Juzo Itami. Trying to think what it was. I think we've... Oh, Tampopo. Tom Popo, Tampopo is, is probably his most famous film. I'm thinking... I may have done a Dark Tales of Asian Cinema about him, but I can't remember if I ever did or not. But yeah, it's a sort of a tragic story there. Um, he also directed um, Mimbo, which is a film I know I've talked about on here. Um, basically, he's he was a, a actor turned director, made eleven films, and then was maybe committed suicide or maybe was thrown off the top of a building by the Yakuza. Anyway, back to the funeral, which was his first directorial effort. It's basically a kind of comedy drama about a funeral, um, which isn't, you know, that is a, that's a, that's a subgenre in and of itself. Basically, it's about a family, the, the patriarch of the family, um, in the, in the opening scenes, comes home from his uh, medical appointment, but then goes on to die. His daughter and son-in-law then get, you know, they, they have to put on the funeral. And what we get is a sort of, over, over the three-day period, we learn all about how Japanese funerals work. We learn about all the sort of the tensions and the, and the intrigue going on in the family, you know, the the, the, the son-in-law's having an affair with a younger woman um, the, the, the deceased's brother they were, he was, you know, they were two of seven brothers is incredibly jealous of the success of, of his late brother and another member of the family is obsessed with money you know the, the usual stuff so there's sort of sort of lots of sort of little little tickles at 
um, tradition. Um, there's, there's a wonderful bit in it where the son-in-law and the, and, the, and the daughter of the deceased have to watch a videotape which tells them how to even do a funeral and how to act and what to say to people that attend and sort of the, just the whole routine around it, which obviously is very much like these days we'd go on WikiHow or onto a YouTube video or something like that. And this is this is back in 1984. Um, it's not rip-roaringly hilarious, but it's incredibly chuckle-worthy. Um, really enjoyed it. And like I say, as a director, I'm... Um, I'm, I'm probably going to be a bit more into. So obviously, because I'm reviewing it for Eastern Kicks, it's about to come out on DVD and Blu-ray, I want to say by Eureka, I can't remember. But there's lots of extra features which I haven't delved into. And yeah, re- really, really good film. Um, not one that I'd seen before. So that's mostly me. I also watched um, today, Tomorrow Never Dies, just to get into a Michelle Yeoh move. And um, to remember, she really is one of the 10 best Bond girls ever. <laughs> and certainly, one of the top 10? Wow. Probably, probably one of the top five, really, in terms of what she could actually achieve. Um, Who's in your top list? Just have interest if you... Oh, my God. No, God. Right. Well, um, I guess you have to include Ursula Andress just because yeah. she's the first. She's a prototype, isn't she? She, she is indeed. Um, I think I'd probably include. Actually, I don't know the name of the lady. Have you seen the latest James Bond film, The No I Time to yet, Die? No. So it's it's a strange old film, um, a bloody long one. But there's a there's a sequence, like a 10, 15 minute sequence, where this sort of local Cuban agent girl is. The, the, there's some shenanigans goes down in Old Town Havana. And yeah. she's fucking amazing. <laughs> she she steals what I think is a really fucking dire movie. <laughs> so she she'd be up there, Michelle Yeoh, obviously. Um, I'm just trying to think. Obviously, I I well, I say obviously you don't know this, but I have a real soft um, spot for on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and uh, obviously Diana Rigg plays a. Uh, Tracy can't remember her surname, but who becomes Mrs. Bond for twenty minutes at the end of the film? I think she's excellent, but Diana Rigg was excellent and everything. And and then I could just keep with the whole Avengers thing and say on a Blackman in in um, Goldfinger. Yeah. But I think I've just picked, other than Ursula Andress, a bunch of really atypical Bond girls. <laughs> And uh, probably haven't really fallen into the uh, what a Bond girl is thing, have I? I don't know. But yeah, Michelle Yeoh's excellent. Um, and to think she was doing that only ten years after tonight's movie, um, and then it sort of got me thinking how few female action stars from Asia have ever made it across. And you know, we've had these conversations before about directors, haven't we, and actors? Um, but she. She's made it in both action films, in dramas, in comedies, in all sorts. So yeah, she's a she's. I think she's probably the number one female action star from Asia of all time. But we can debate and discuss that. Anyway, that's me. Interesting. Um, surprise! No sign of Gloria Hendry on your list. What was she in? She was in Live and Let Die. She played Rosie Carver. Oh, yeah. See, Live and Let Die, I always think of Jane Seymour. Okay. Solitaire. Yeah. Well, yeah. Although she... 
and, and Jane Seymour and her hair, which I also remember from Dr. Queen Medicine Woman. <laughs> never never has a woman been more famous for something other than her abilities. Um, yeah, no, that, I do. That is, to be fair, that is probably my favourite James Bond film, Live and Let Die. So that is a good... Oh, really? Yeah, I, I, think, I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's... Some awkward mm. black exploitation film that's masquerading as a James Bond film, but I think I've always been a sucker for Roger Moore, and I've always, you know, it's one of the greatest theme songs, and there is a certain sort of, I don't know, there's a creepiness to the villainy, you know, Baron Samady, and and then at the same time there's some some old school New York gangster action, Harlem gangster action going. I just yep. love I just love Yup at Casso. Yeah, I I always enjoyed it. But also there's some stuff not to enjoy in it. But yeah, I think it's I think it is my favourite. Oh could Goldeneye is still my favourite. See I'm not a huge fan of Pierce Brosnan. Just just hands down, even the stink of Alan Cummings <laughs> in that movie. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> But we've got Takechi Caro, Isabella Scopolini, Falco Jensen, Sean Bean, Judy mm. Dench, Robbie Coltrane. It just goes on and on. And then, you know, Alan Cummings is forgettable. But it did, to be fair, it did re-energise, reinvent, restart the franchise. Um, it did. Uh, I just, just never been a huge fan of Pierce Brosnan in it, which, of course, today oh. today's film. He's, oh. he's my, he's probably my least favourite Bond it's interesting as well because it was directed by Martin Campbell, mm. who also directed the last good Jackie Chan movie in The Foreigner. Because oh, um, yes. a lot of people question this, sort of like, why has Michelle Yeoh been consistently good throughout her career, whereas Jackie Chan's career has shown a decline? Uh, Michelle Yeoh only seems to be aging like fine wine. Um, so, and with a lot of people citing, obviously, The Foreigner as being Chan's last good film. So, I thought that was an adequate film. <laughs> <laughs> so it's right. I've yet to see it. It's, so it's fine. Watch it it's I'm on vacation this week. So yeah, no, it's it. I I watched it a couple of years. It must have been when it came out. I saw it. It's yeah. It it it's fine. He plays Jackie Chan as an old man in London or Ireland. Can't remember where it is. Uh, I think it's London because it's the IRA. Because I remember reading the book because the book's called The Chinaman. Mm. And in it, it's this Vietnamese guy, um, which again makes total no sense. It's just basically a rip off of Rambo. There's an element of of Rambo First Blood about yeah. it. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely fine. It's not terrible. Yeah, it's um, and there's there is a moment of quite a lot of shock. But yes, it's it's old old man with. Violent past takes revenge on people who've done him wrong. Another subgenre. <laughs> hmm. It's it's fine, but yes, um, it probably was. There's a lot of things about Jackie Chan. Obviously, we don't that, that we struggle with because of the man he's become, and the uh, some of his American stuff. Still, you love the medallion, hmm. didn't you? That was an experience <laughs> and a half, really, wasn't it? <laughs> The anyway. fact we managed to find a movie worse than The Medallion was also an experience. <laughs> anyway, what have you been watching, mate? Um, well, first off, it's funny you watched, obviously watched The Funeral because I also revisited Departures in 2008, directed by uh, Yujiro Takiti. I don't know if you've seen this one. I haven't seen it, to my eternal shame, because it was like on many people's film of the year and you know, quite often is... 
sort of quoted in people's favourite Japanese films of all time. And again, for the third time tonight, The Funeral is is a classic trope, isn't it? Of of a way of looking at people, at cultures and, and so on and so forth. So it's, add another one to the list. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one worth uh, checking out. Uh, it, again, it's a look at uh, the Jap- Japan and and its funeral services really um as it follows this cellist called diago who's laid off from the orchestra he's with and he moves back to his sort of small town and he thinks he's applying for a job in a travel agent but it's actually a job as an undertaker's assistant um and yeah it's it's a very it's it's a very very good film and one that i would definitely recommend checking out if we don't obviously bring it to the show at some point because i think it's one that's uh it's worth diving into um Another one that I want to get out of the way as well, which I finished off ooh, a good couple of months back, but I keep forgetting to bring it up, and uh, other things keep coming up, but I finally watched every single episode of Dragon Ball Super. We can cross it off the list now. Oh, 131 episodes of uh, the sequel to the classic Dragon Ball Z. How long did that take you then? Um, It took a while, but it was on pop. <laughs> Right. So it was sort of like it was it worked better because it's something that's you know on daily, mm. so you don't really notice it. It's not like you have to schedule it into your day. But no, um, really, really, really good. I think it's on a par with the original series, which I'm still working for at the moment. So what I've seen of Dragon Ball Z, um, I think it's certainly on a par with. Uh, obviously, benefits from more modernized animation, but the characters, the storylines are just all fantastic throughout even though it's like a lot more the same just lots of burly men screaming and shouting at each other with the final arc being the being the battle between the universes um to see which one remains which i enjoyed for the most part mainly because it has a lot means we get a lot of really interesting characters and a lot of interest in different fight styles in this like mass tournament of like where you've got um like I think it's like 10 fighters from each universe is being sent to represent it with every time a universe runs out of fighters, that universe is eliminated by the uh, the overruling gods of this world. Um, the problem I have with it is that it, there's a character called Jiren who's basically the equivalent of like when you play guns with your friends as a kid and there was always that one kid who was always like whatever you threw at him is all like no i've got this and this and this and i'm completely invincible and that's what jiren feels like the fact that he breaks off about part way through this tournament to just meditate because apparently there's no one worthy enough to take him on is just the real ass move of this character um and a good five or six episodes is just dedicated to them trying to find a way to level up enough to to knock his ass out of the ring. So, uh, apart from that, though, very worth checking out and not wasted time at all. So that was a good 131 episodes of time well spent. You won't be getting it back, so I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> well, we look at I keep looking at uh, One Piece, and it's like 1,037 episodes so on now. Yeah, it's never going to happen, is it? I, I, I keep dipping in and out of it, so I need to get onto it because I enjoy what I watched of it. I just, it, it's just like thinking you're ever going to catch up with it. So, 
But uh, on the movie front, uh, first up, we I watched The Black Tavern from 1972, which is a Shaw Brothers movie that's been on my watch list for the longest time because I know Mike Dick over at Kissing Contest and Virtual Pros and Border Boss is a huge fan of this one. He's constantly talked it up. Um, so I finally managed to track down a copy of this one. And I have to say, this is a really, really fantastic one that is just totally worth checking out. I mean, if you've watched the hateful eight and thought this would be really great if it was shorter and featured kung fu and cannibals and hopping vampires um then you really enjoy the black tavern because that's essentially what this is uh where you've got this government official who's heading into this tavern and he's apparently got this chest full of all these this gold and bribes that he's been collecting and all these uh various parties are trying to find a way to to relieve him of it shall we say um throw in here we've got a character called the whip devil we've got um chizu shizu um who plays the lady hermit and we was as i said we've got the hopping vampires there's um the guys who run the tavern also have a sideline in human pork buns uh which apparently everybody knows about and that's why it's called a black tavern which was news to me, but um, how many human pork buns are we going to get in in the? <laughs> that's, it seems the third. That's the now. third. That's the third. Um, the third one we've had in about three episodes. <laughs> well, no, we've four now, isn't it? Because we had two films of the Untold Story. Yeah. Oh, Bola I, Syndrome. I forgot which... about Untold Story too. I didn't realise that had human yeah. pork in it as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, Bola Syndrome and now obviously the Black Tavern and it's kind of funny you see them go down to the kitchen to see this guy like pop up for the basement like a human leg and he's like oh I'm going to make the buns. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's funny you should say that. It's ringing a bell in my head that there must be another movie that calls something a Black Tavern and that must be why. I'll have to I don't know if I'll ever remember but interesting anyway carry on i just send that one to you so you can check that out on your I definitely own will um and followed that one up with um the young my young auntie from 1981 which is if we're to believe the list that we've uh, been sent through it's going to be in the sure scope volume two uh it's also one of the few Shaw brothers movies available for free on amazon prime uh, but it's been on my watch list for a while. And I, I was trying to think why I've seen it. <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> because okay. it's on a, I was thinking, is it not part of my short scope collection? How come I've seen it? And then you've just made me realise, yes, it, you're right. It's one of the few Shaw Brothers films on Amazon Prime. Um, but this one's directed by Lu Che Leng. Um, and features Carrie Hugh Ling Hong. I'm going to really apologise because I'm already butchering names left, right and centre tonight, so I do apologise. Who stars as the title of Young Auntie, um, battling to help the inheritance that she's uh, gained go to the right brother in one of the most confused family dynamics ever. Ultimately, it's uh, it's a fun movie because you've obviously got this blending of this clashing of cultures where you've got the western influences with uh, the the youth going off to Hong Kong and studying English and bringing back a lot of western influences and then you've got um, those who obviously like living out in in mainland China who are just very sort of like dressed very sort of traditional and you've got this sort of clashing of styles with um, 
Cheng going up against her young nephew who sets out initially to embarrass her with the two ultimately coming together to show down with uh, one of his evil uncles who's attempting to steal the inheritance. The only downside obviously is the fact that she gets nothing to really do in the big final scrap but the this was a movie that I had originally had at about 3.5 and then you get into like the, once you get past like all the sort of awkward sort of carry on style comedy and just get into like the really great fight sequences the fight choreography in this movie is just absolutely fantastic and especially when we get into the finale and just seeing the fight scenes that uh, put together there it's just really some of Shaw Brothers best um, stuff that I've seen uh, currently in my sort of journey through their back catalogue and it's just real sort of top draw stuff um, and one that's I would say worth checking out but as I said you just got to deal with the fact that you're going to deal with some really awful comedy um, antics as well to get to the good stuff well you might enjoy the awful comedy and get... did you enjoy the end <laughs> I, I was trying to remember what I think I enjoyed it I, I think you sort of that Hong Kong sort of slapstick is that the right word comedy and a lot of it we don't understand because it's untranslatable both in terms of language and in terms of culture. I, I th yeah, and people sort of screech and shout at each other a lot. <laughs> it's more just the bizarre musical moments he yeah. launches into. Um, it's, 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 it's probably a cultural thing. We don't understand any references or anything like that. And yeah, certainly. When's it from? Is it it's 60s, isn't it? I think. 60s, this one's 81. Is it that? Uh, okay. So I respect something from the 60s and 70s are usually the worst yeah. ones for me because I just don't have any concept of the of the world of that time, you know, let alone in my own country, let alone in Hong Kong. But I just thought that's that. I'm. I seem to think it, it looked older than that when I watched it, but I maybe I need to revisit. Well, I mean, Kara is is a phenomenal artist i mean she was her actual sort of history uh when you look up her biography it's really quite fascinating because she sort of came from the slums and she made a made like money selling like gum and knickknacks to the tourists and she managed to get like a dance scholarship she trained as a dancer she also received weapons training from donnie yen's mum as you do <laughs> which is just uh it's like okay there's there's things in that statement that need unpacking, but we don't. <laughs> I think we need to sound just like just like go through like her uh, do a a, a Kohu tribute day. Yeah, she's um, yeah, she's one of the the greats. I'm just trying to think. Was she not in something you watched for Anthony Wong month? Um, she. So you might have to edit and she's cut in this. Infernal out. Affairs two. Yeah, yeah, but I think she's in. I thought she was in. Oh yeah, she's in Madame City Hunter as well. That's right. She's the um, she's the young wife character, oh, isn't she? Yeah, no, no, she's not black. Oh no, no, she's, she's the, the young. Um, she's the digger, isn't she? That, that's right. Yes, and I barely recognised her at the time, but she, yeah, she's been in a ton of stuff, and I had no idea about. I know about some of her. Oh, and and I watched her in Dirty Ho the other day. Yes, yes, uh, you did. Um, um, but and, and but she had a a real downspell in I wouldn't say like the late nineties, late two thousand, where she attempted to take her life, and then she's had a sort of career revival, and she's been in things like Rigor Mortis. Um, 
But you look at someone like, as I said, she's been in a few movies with Anthony Anthony Wong. Um, and then again, who hasn't? She was Invisible Secret. She's um, in Dagon. Uh, she's mm. an Eight Diagram Pole Fighter. Fate Six, Return to Fate Six Chamber of Shaolin. It's quite a lot of Shaw Brothers movies that uh, she's been in. She's also in uh, The Lady is the Boss, which is one of my favourites. So, Yeah, I mean, she's got a career enough for you to put a month in, but I'm not going to... I think... Oh, uh, too soon? <laughs> I keep I keep saying, like, looking at a month and thinking, should we, like, maybe I'd just do a month where I just highlight 30 actresses or 30 actresses, mm. directors within within Ace and Cinema, because there's a lot of people like like her that sort of slipped through um, the cracks really because there either be their work is like too sort of cult or it doesn't they just don't uh, get the sort of profile they um, they have I mean Cynthia Yang obviously being another one really who um, again just take it back to Madam City Hunter that's Cynthia mm. Khan isn't it yeah so, yeah 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 it is um, which you know, I think it was one of our highlights of this year so far. So yeah, it was. It certainly was. Um, yeah, I mean, she, yeah, she's you know, the wonderful thing about Caraway is that she exists in the Shaw Brothers world, but she also has this really huge, more recent career. You know, she's been going since the seventies, um, and and so many of the sort of Shaw Brothers type actresses didn't continue on or, or as we'll talk maybe about Michelle Yeoh later you know these these actresses get married and to, to rich businessmen and they drop off the scene and the fact that she is still going how old is she now 62 she only 62 my god <laughs> you know, I say that I, I was making out she was yeah. like 90 years old she's um still quite vital <laughs> Foot inside. I know, right? God, she's only, <laughs> she's only 11 foot. years older than me. God, she must be ancient. <laughs> but yeah, she's still going. She's still going in TV and movies. So yeah, let's raise, raise a glass to her and we must come back and talk about more of her stuff. Uh, due to a case of diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Fair enough. Um, I've just seen a picture of Michelle Yeoh in 2017. She's still looking at Fox. Yeah, I'm not even gonna. We're not even gonna talk about any more women's ages. I can't win. You should never talk about women's ages. No, no. no. There we go. Next. Um, <laughs> but no, that was uh, obviously my my uh, month that was well week that was. Should I say? Um. I'm obviously away next coming week, so I'm going to hopefully be crossing a few more things off the watch pile. Basically, packed more films and clothes at this point. Uh, so You're going away for your Easter retreat, are you? Yeah, I'm going away to sit in a, in a, <laughs> in a room with my family. <laughs> it's all like, if it wasn't... Uh, claustrophobic enough in a free free story house let's cram each other in a single like mobile home and see what happens i'm sure you'll come back with your batteries recharged i'm sure um but yeah i'm hopefully going to cross off a few more bits and pieces so i'm currently at the moment looking at all my sort of streaming service and trying to figure out what to download because there's no chance there's gonna be any signal down there for like the internet or anything so the good thing about it being that you can obviously download 
all your bits you need to watch and then don't have to worry about these things so go off the grid sir go off the grid I wish I could I'm just like go and live in a compound somewhere like Hunter S. Thompson <laughs> Magnificent Warriors, released in 1987 and also known as Dynamite Fighters, is a Hong Kong action-adventure martial arts film directed by David Chung, uh, starring Michelle Yeoh, uh, Tung Sing Yi, Richard Ning, and Yu Hon, as well as Huang Zhang Li. Um, this is probably one of my favourite Michelle Yeoh movies of all time. Um, in which she plays a mercenary for hire who finds herself drawn into the, into the small t- small Mongolian town which the Japanese army are planning to use as a site of their new chemical warfare plant, uh, leading her to not only team up with a spy, a thief, as well as uh, uniting the people of the city to repel the Japanese invaders in a rip-roaring adventure that... Um, I'm really going to be interested to see what you made of this one, Stephen. Okay. I'm holding my cards close to my chest. Okay. What I will do, though, to just to get you excited, um, I found a copy of this on eBay, so I now have a Hong Kong Legends <laughs> DVD of it, which is um, so after nice. some of the previous episodes we've talked about Hong Kong Legends, and um, it was nice to finally pick one up and just see what a nice set it was although i will say a little bit flawed because the media asia logo you have to watch three times before starting the film but never mind but yes no um clearly a classic of its time that i'd never seen before this was one of the first movies that i picked up when i i decided to start getting into sort of kung fu movies because i'd obviously seen the bruce lee movies i'd seen like a lot of the jackie chan movies and just randomly decided i really wanted to just start watching more kung fu movies so i picked up this i picked up hitman uh the jet Lee movie mm-hmm. which i believe is now released as contract killer which is really bizarre uh, but you no, know, it was those uh, Hong Kong Legends sets that really got me sort of really into um, sort of martial arts cinema and in turn a lot of heroic gunplay movies, a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have seen previously because I'd focused a lot mainly just on kaiju movies and this was sort of like the gateway movies into a whole new world of uh, Asian cinema with uh, Magnificent Warriors of course being this wonderful standout and one of the last films that Michelle Yeoh made before she retired uh, rather prematurely because she got married to the film's producer Dixon Poon. Um, Thankfully, for us film fans, the marriage didn't last and she would return to her acting career and only going on from strength to strength um, as the years have uh, have passed. Um, returning in, from the break in 1992 with Police Story 3 Supercop, which uh, also features that really uh, cool stunt of her jumping a motorcycle onto a train. And then the following year she would make Heroic Trio an executioner's so. Yeah, I mean she's um, 
she's one of we were talking about it before but she is probably the premier East Asian actress of all time um, I, I, I'm hesitating calling her a Hong Kong actress because she's actually from Malaysia <laughs> and, she was um, Miss Malaysia she was indeed um, but to think she has this you know, we talked about Kara Hui um, before you know the, the the longevity of her career but she's done you know she she isn't just hong kong action movies um she's she's done movies over in the west tomorrow never dies um which again we talked about um you know she's she's been a bond girl she's been a um she's um portrayed uh ong sang su kui the the now ex-leader of whatever Bur- Myanmar that's it I'm trying to think what Burma's now called um so that the lady I remember seeing her at the cinema in that you know that's a that's a very dramatic role she's now in a film that we can't see <laughs> she's um she's 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 got a role in one of the Star Trek spin-offs on TV she was in Crazy Rich Asians you know she's 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 done it all and is still doing it all it's quite Quite remarkable, and she had time to retire for five years. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. It's true. Um, and now she's set to star in Avatar two to five. Yeah, well, I'm never going to watch them, so that can. Oh. <laughs> I have no interest in Avatar whatsoever. Um. Yes, I mean she's she has pretty much done everything really I mean she's sort of like the go to person if you need a not only a kick uh she's not only a kick ass Asian lady who does her own stunts but she's also got the dramatic chops as well which I think really sort of helps makes her sort of stand out because obviously you had Anita Murray uh, we had um, I'm trying to think of her other co there Maggie Chung Maggie Chung yeah uh, which and I say those are the three top names but it's something about Michelle Yeoh which is just always sort of like helped her stand out more than her contemporaries really and I don't know whether it's because she was able to transition over to making films in both the west as well as the east um, that sort of of ever helped stand out with obviously um, Tomorrow Never Dies opening that door for her and she sort of like has run with it ever since and even now she's still playing kick-ass ladies. I mean, she's in Boss Level. She's in Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw her in Gunpowder Milkshake last year. Um, she's also one of, I think, only two people. I could be wrong. The other one being Gemma Chan. That's two separate people in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She's uh, She was in Gardens of the Galaxy yeah. Volume 2 and the Shang-Chi movie. She was in the Shang-Chi movie, which is still probably one of my favourite of uh, the Marvel movies. It's between that or Black Widow parent currently for myself. Really? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> really like, I just said I just really enjoyed Shang Chi. I, I I like Shang Chi. I just felt the ending let it down a bit. Punch Punch Dragon. Um, I could have I would have liked more, but that's a yeah, that's a movie for us. It, you know, it's not just Michelle Yeoh. You've got little Tony Long in there as well. Um, and Aquafina. And Aquafina, which makes everything better. But, everything uh, is better with Aquafina. <laughs> Indeed, but yeah. Anyway, this film. Yes, <laughs> I'd never seen it before. I'm surprised. I would have thought that this would have. In fact, I'd never even come past you at some point. I'd never even heard of it. 
which again there's a that's my second cinema shame for the for the for the episode um because nothing's in departures either so i'm I'm a i'm a fraud elwood i'm a complete fraud Um, and i mean this is number 80 in our top 150 films of all time yeah obviously you put it in there yeah obviously (laughs) i put it in there so no and i i you know i remember last week i said what's the name of the film i just haven't heard of it haven't heard of it but yeah it's um i guess it's just from an era i'm not quite so close to that sort of um is it late is it 97 something like that yeah which probably i don't know just i think it's a bit one of those gaps i like i've got these gaps in my music knowledge you know like when i was having kids i stopped knowing what was in the top 40 Okay. <laughs> and now I go back and think I've never heard of these songs and everyone goes oh, you must have heard of it it was number one for weeks I feel like something was going on in my life in uh, 1989 through to about 1993 but there we go hmm. I've seen it now oh that's good well the film is not to be confused with uh, Royal Warriors which he made in 86 um, a sequel to Yes Madam the film which really sort of helped to break, break out with uh, Symphony Rock Up which is another film I think we need to cover at some point. Um, Funnily enough, it's on my list. <laughs> there's nine of them. Yeah, just the first one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, I'm surprised we haven't covered that one that one either. But no, Magnuson Warriors is a real showcase of the Tantum Show Yod, which makes it only the more of a sort of tragedy that it would be our last film for a while, really. Um, as here she plays this character who's not only a daredevil, but she flies a biplane, she has a bullwhip, she wears um, a cool sheepskin coat, um, and she also, her chosen weapon of choice is the rope spear, which she uses to incredible effect throughout the film. And this is a film just packed with action. Um, and even more incredible stunt work as we see people kicked into fire and blown up and it's almost like we're watching a moment of romance too. the health and safety of this movie is a little questionable in places but no i mean what so what did you think of this this movie's doing i know you obviously said you've never seen it before but as a first time watch how did you find it so when i first the, the opening sequence i thought oh god it's a it's going to be a cheap ass raiders of the lost ark knockoff <laughs> But it's not that at all. It's a war film. <laughs> well, it's sort of. It's. I guess it's set in the Sino-Japanese war, but so it's sort of set before World War Two. I'm guessing. Not really clear. There's a lot of these films where the Japanese are the bad guys throughout history in Chinese cinema. You're never. You're never too sure. But yes, if, if, uh, you know, and and also the sort of opening sequence had this weird mix of comedy and some poor person dying. Um, in, a, in in a, in a sort of a bit of a non sequitur kind of way, and I was a bit like, mm. but as it as as the film ramped up, um, it is there is a lot of comedy in it, but it is more you know there was more and more and more and more action sequences in it, and there was a point after an hour I thought that was going to be the end of the film, <laughs> and then it turned out there's another half hour to go, and yeah, I I was. Is it going to be? Is is it in my personal top hundred list? No. Um, is it a great showcase for Michelle Yeoh? Probably not as an actress. 
Um, because she just seems to s- smile a lot, basically, and <laughs> and but, just the bunny ears. And, yeah. Um, um, but in terms of the action, and I don't care how much of it she did or didn't do. It's the action in this film is superb, and you know me, I love a female-led action movie. We don't have enough of them, and um, yeah, I ended up quite enjoying it. Um, I don't want to damn it with faint praise. That sounded terrible. That's not. It's not what I meant. I just. It just. It didn't become the movie I feared it was going to be, and that's a good thing. But then it took me a little while to warm up to it. But yeah, good. I would say sort of seven out of ten for me. But let's talk more. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean certainly. I mean this is the thing I love about this this character is that she's not um, a character who's ever needing rescuing by her mm. male counterpart. She's just sort of like does her own and as she says herself she doesn't care about what the mission is she just cares about getting paid um and she blends this with just that you know happy-go-lucky michelle Jonas. she's not a she's she kicks a lot kicks a lot of ass in this movie but at the same time she's got this sort of like uh i don't want to say like it's the mac pixie dream girl thing but it's just this sort of like girl next door quality to her but she's also the girl next door kick your ass yeah and yeah, um, I, know, I know what you mean. I just, I just feel there's obviously some backstory to her character, which we have expositioned to us, um, sort of about two thirds of the way through the movie, whilst they're being strung up. Um, and I, I just so the character in the now, she's adorable, she's kick-ass, she's everything we want our female action characters to be. I just think she's a little. The character is just... All the characters in this film, I feel, are a little one note. But it's not a drama. It's a comedy action film. So I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wanting too much. But I just felt I just felt there were times... you know, Maybe because we know the actress that she is and will become, that just sometimes she just seems to be... Her response to anything is just to smile nicely. I found a bit annoying. But, hmm. uh, but no... I'm, um, I feel I do fear I'm damning it with faint praise, and I really don't mean to. I know. It's, I mean, right from the start, she's shown that she can sort of handle herself. I mean, we said already about the guns deal that she uh, gets involved in, and she basically single-handedly. She has this great scene where she's there. She's whipping the bull whip, and uh, she l- takes a flaming log and throws it into a box of bullets, and. Uh, she then escapes on a horse and cart, which revealed to have a big machine gun. It's her characters are so well introduced, and then when we get onto the mission, and she's like going up against the uh, the Japanese plane flown by uh, Ron Mayer from Sparks. Um, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> what was just to say? Oh, flown by Hitler. <laughs> There's only two people who have that mustache. Oh, and um, well, someone in Tenko had it as well. It's a very, it's, it is a Japanese style moustache for sure, but it's been pop- popularized by everyone's least favorite Austrian. Yes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, she she pulls a uh, Maverick from Top Gun move by shooting a flare into his cockpit in a really fantastically shot by place versus Spitfire uh, sequence. Yeah, yeah, in my in my notes that I took down, I love the. I wish there was more stuff of her in her. I don't know she's in a sock with camel or something, some kind of biplane. Yeah, um, I wish that bright yellow biplane because that's sort of when you're doing like sneaky stuff. But I love that bit. I'm 
and and just there's there is a gloss to this film that does make it feel a little bit special. I know, you know, I was got the Hong Kong Legends DVD and it's all been remastered, but you know, so much of mm. the things we watch um in Hong Kong cinema, especially are all done on an incredibly cheap budget and lots of films that we watch look that way and and we you know we look at the action and the acting and the comedy and 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 so on sort of and kind of put the production values to the side but this one looks bloody fantastic <laughs> um it's and and that that plane battle is you know it's it's not top gun but it's bloody entertaining yeah i mean it's they're, they're flying low over the over the uh, sort of landscape there, and it's, it's it, it, as I say, it's just a really fun sort of sequence, really. And it just continues to mean the film has that when it can't figure out what to do, it just throws in a big, bigger uh, action scene or replays the theme tune, which it does ad nauseum. It does um, a lot of that, yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently, they only the composer they hired for this, they only hired to do the opening theme and then just looped it a few hundred times, but. Thankfully, it's not. I didn't find it annoying. I don't know about yourself, Stephen. It's not not it particularly rousing. Yeah, but you know, just to bring you back, we're used to Hong Kong cinema working on a budget. There's a cla- if they're not if they're not looping it, mate, they're stealing it from other films. So let's be glad they looped it. <laughs> mm. um, she's also told that she's going to find uh, uh, an agent from the Chinese government called Secret Agent Zero Zero One, played by uh, Derek Yi. Um, the way that he's going to be identified is but he's going to be wearing this watch that they've attached to a pigeon that clearly is too heavy for this pigeon to carry because they throw, you see the guy throw the pigeon up and then we cut to this sort of fade-in sequence of this pigeon that's also seemingly being dropped uh, before we then have the stock footage of the said pigeon flying across the Mongolian landscape only to be eaten by Richard Ning's drifter in... A scene which was right up there with uh, that kung fu movie I saw, where he's all like, "Ah, oh, dog a la orange." <laughs> um, oh. So yeah, the uh, the 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 special forces uh, carry pigeon gets eaten by <laughs> Richardings uh, Drifter, who has a sideline in just hustling people as we see him cheating at dice in one of those weird, you know, villager games. Mm. Um, it kind of reminds me of um, Waking Fright, where they're playing that game where they just toss the coins in the air. You're referencing something I don't know. So. Oh, you've never seen that? No. Yeah, it's, they in Waking Fright. He's uh, in a Valentine, and they gamble on this this game where these two coins are thrown up in the air, and he has to like guess what they land on. Ah, uh, it's good. It's got Donald Pleasance in it. Uh, uh, I'm sold. Which is all you need to see. Indeed, indeed. It's not like it's not like Donald Pleasant's doing like full Cockney as in Deathline, <laughs> which is a it's a treat on itself, and especially if you're a Brit and you watch it because there's a lot of very sort of Britishisms such as the fact you use a tea and um, a teacup and saucer, whereas everyone else uses a mug because <laughs> he's he's working class but he's got that classy edge to him. I mean, he has like the dartboard, and there's a lot of things I'm sure like would go over like non-British people's audience and like heads, like all the British isms. Mm-hmm. 
I was just but, sorry. Carry on, carry on. No, I just I was just curious. I mean, what did you think of uh, Richard Ning? Because I know he's a very diversive sort of actor in into the roles, but I found him pretty funny in this one. Yeah, he was okay. I was actually more interested in Derek Yee, um, who I don't really remember a lot as an actor, <laughs> but he became a really good film director. <laughs> um, some. Cecil V. Moore Cherie, um, Viva Erotica, One Night in Moncock. You know, not just has he made films, he's made top, top award-winning Hong Kong movies. And not too long after this movie was made, um, I, I was I, I just... I surprised... Yeah, I was surprised. But to be honest, in this film, I barely remember him. I know like he's... He's the main person, the main lead for, as a male, but I found him a bit nothing, um, uh, non-memorable. But Richard Nung, I don't have a huge problem with. He's just one of those sort of comedic actors, isn't he? That just is what he is. <laughs> you chuck him in any film, and that's who he is. Um, and we have a load. We have a load of them. Um, I'm just going to have a look to see what else he's been in. You know, on the on the oh my god, what hasn't he been in? <laughs> well, he's in Wheels on Mills. Um, so that that's the first thing. It came, yeah, the Lucky Stars films. Yes, Madam. Yeah, in fact, basically he's been hanging around Michelle Yeoh a lot, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream, isn't it? Really, just hang around Michelle Yeoh. No, he's fine. He's like England Tat, isn't he? There's a whole bunch of these guys that just appear and mostly in comedy films and then they'll turn up in a drama bizarrely and you'll go, what the hell? Um, yeah, I, I none of the men in this film really I found were outstanding and it wasn't just Michelle Yeoh. There's another female character. Is it Cindy Lau? Chin Chin? Oh yes, yeah. She was entertaining as well. I liked her. I wasn't sure what her role was supposed to be. That's the only problem I have with her. Uh, yeah, I not. I I I don't know. So we've got this um, Yuda, who's like the leader of the village, isn't it? Sort of this young man. Yeah. And I don't know if she's his sister, his girlfriend, his servant. I'm not sure what her role is, but she was very perky and bright and. Because she's sort of introduced as a sheriff style mm. character, because she goes into the into the gambling den and they do that whole bit about whose story belongs to who, which I which I thought was funny. Mm. I don't know why I find it funny, but it was just really sort of stupid. Um, and the fact that she gets in a fight and she's obviously got the advantage because all her guards are there with like big yeah, um, uh, big Gurkha sort of blades. Mm. And just ready to go and like bump off anyone who tries to strike at her. So, but no, she was kind of charming. She is. So. She is. I mean, not a huge. She's she's been in a handful of films, but um, yeah, I really i I'm surprised she wasn't a bigger star. To be honest with you, she and I, she had some nice chemistry with some of the others. But she's, you know, it's one of those examples. Maybe she's in a different movie to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> But I enjoyed, I enjoyed her. But yeah, just looked her up on HK, MDB, and yeah, 11 films in total. And I suspect most of them, this was probably her biggest role in the biggest film. 
Um, well, obviously, when it comes to the the action sort of scenes here, I think they're the real sort of selling point of this movie. Certainly not the character relationships, which are all just a bit of sort of, I like you, but not really. He he he. Um, it takes the the drifter to point out like who the couples are, and it's all like you don't like him now, but you will like him. Yeah, there is a bit of that. That's what I was talking about. That whole exposition thing is that he does sort of explain it all to us eventually. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean Michelle Yoshi, as we said, she kicks a lot of ass. I mean, she also kicks people with like a the power of a jackhammer. So there's a scene where she kicks Chin Chin across the room. Oh, that's my that's my favorite scene. You know, Jinjin goes kick me, so she does. And it's like my favorite bit is um, when she's being tested by the her grandfather's um, general mate. So he sends his soldiers, and she does that scene with the uh, rope spear. She tangles that guy up, and then just like throws it up in the roof, and then hoists him around. He just flips over. Mm. Uh, If you want to see people go through really weak looking furniture, this is the movie for you as well. Because it seems that no one can fall over without falling through something. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a there's a certain comic bookiness to it. So, um, again, I was sort of doing a bit of research, and and I always go and look at the Love HK film website because that was, I wish they wish they still updated it. But you know, it's always good to see contemporary reviews there, and. You know, they also make the mistake of sort of suggesting it's it's like Indiana Jones inspired, and it's not. She's got a leather jacket on and she uses a whip, and it's set in a sort of pre World War Two period. But that's as it's not about fucking um, antiquities robber that has adventures. <laughs> She's, well, yeah, I mean, we can see the examples. I mean, Indiana Jones fights the Nazis. She fights the Japanese. Yeah, but lots yeah. of people do. Douglas Bader. In a lot of people in it's all, in lo- the the evil Japanese are a regular foe in these movies. It has to be said. Well, so. they they are, and and when and that's the little bit of the film that is a bit sometimes just these films it gets a bit tiresome with this the evil the evil japanese but probably no more tiresome than the evil nazis you know it's just that's that's the war guys that's what it has they have to be the bad guys um it's just sometimes you have to sort of think about it with a modern head on and you know they're talking about the japanese are trying to set up basically a chemical weapons plant aren't they here um and and you just think there's some subtext going on here and uh poor huang jang li it always comes out and has to play I mean, he's he's obviously from his name. You can tell he's Korean, but he is Japanese born. But he always has to play bloody Japanese people <laughs> all the time. Um, but yeah, I, I, but it's not. But anyway, my the point was, you know, they 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 said it's this India, but it's it's not. It's just it's a it's a it's a wartime set. Is it set in Manchuria or Mongolia or somewhere? Even though Mongolia. it's it's filmed yeah, it's in, in the. Um... City of uh, Cobb, right next to Corn. Right. <laughs> Very good. <coughs> um, but obviously filmed in Tibet, which is the other side of China. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the other side of Corn Holder. Yes. And again, that made me... I, 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 I kind of missed where it was set. I, they do mention it earlier, actually, in that opening scene, don't they, that it's, in Man- that, that, that's, it's set in um, Mongolia, to be fair. Um, but... Again, I think uh, Chinese people invading Tibet, that's a bit on the nose, isn't it? 
<laughs> Actually, they don't do that. And again, the fact it is filmed in location, so it's not filmed in a, you know, in a in a set somewhere on Hong Kong and Run Run Shores, the sort of film studio. It's it's um, it's got stuff outside and the scenery is interesting and it looks like Tibet. Got to be honest with you, with those with those yeah. Buddhist flags also, and things going around. It's also the uh, sort of city where the people generally get behind anything they can chant. Yeah. So no, all yeah. it uh, all it takes is a, a call of war, and then they all start going war, war, war. Or they they uh, they they chant the young leader's name, don't they? To, to, to it. It's also the word city is a bit pushing it a bit. It's. <laughs> It's a walled village, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a wall. Yeah, it's a walled town for for sure. Do you think? Did the fact that the end brawl was strong felt like it a little too close to Return of the Jedi's um, Empire versus the Ewok village for you? Did that like just take away from your enjoyment here? Well, I didn't make the connection, but now you've said it. Whether um, being, I can't, whether being, I, I can't unhear what you've just said. <laughs> the 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 villagers there with their rocks and spears against the Japanese who have got guns and mortars and ninjas, um, mm. which I thought is just fantastic. I mean, the end. There's a couple of really good um, big fight sequences here. They go to blow up a fuel depot, um, which sort of leads into the finale, and there's. <laughs> There's scenes of people being kicked onto burning uh, hay carts. There's a scene where they jump through um, a flaming door where the ramp, the car seems to magically find a ramp out of nowhere and launches like five feet in the air. Michelle, you'll get to do a lot of really big sort of fight sequences where we see a work from like one end of a scene right through to the other. And all of it's shot in this wonderful long wide scope. There's no none of this sort of like poor green grass like right on top of the action nonsense. We get lovely wide uh, lens that all these scenes are shot in, and we really get to see Michelle Yeoh's talent. Even though she wasn't a trained martial artist, she was a dancer. Um, just really just being put to full use here. So yeah, no, I I and I'd agree with you there. It, it, as as always in Hong Kong cinema, except for some of the. Lesser wire food. Like, what's that awful film you made me watch the other day with um, Nicholas Chase, with Jessica, uh, whatever her name says, uh, Nicholas Chase thing, the na- naked assassin, yeah, where none of the fucking action's happening, <laughs> where she's involved in. Um, this... Oh, um, yeah, Naked Soldier. <coughs> yeah, is it Naked Soldier or Naked Assassin? Yeah, Soldier, yeah. It's Naked what... Soldier because it was a follow up to Naked Weapon, uh, which was a follow up to Naked Killer. That's right. Whereas, yeah, Samo's doing his stuff in that film, but everyone else isn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clear. That it's a lot yeah, of whereas it, it is nice to see it. And, and you're right, the sort of white, you know, that's always the mark, isn't it, of of some of these martial arts films the, the superior ones take that step back and let you see what's going on yeah they're not really hitting each other it's it, blah blah all that stuff's going on but at least you're seeing it's, it's like and i know you're a big fan of wrestling it, it reminds me of wrestling you know that that there is there's an art to it and it's a performance and the fact that michelle yo is trained in dance helps her with this and we've talked about this before yeah with other actresses that have come from non-martial arts backgrounds 
and don't have the advantage of Johnny Yen's grandmother. Well, his mother. His mother giving him guns or whatever it was. <laughs> that that, but that age, that that performance aspect to it, and the athletic ability, and so on and so forth, leads to a much more entertaining fight scene. Which is wrong. That was a long way of getting around there, saying, "Yeah, it's great." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's definitely. I mean, when you look at these sort of fight scenes here, they're not just sort of simple sort of punch kick sort of fight scenes there's a lot going on there's multiple people often in the scene there's a number of set pieces constantly happening with the scene there's a scene where she like goes against the wall and like rolls across it and we have the spears coming at the wall um or when she like kicks the guy into a burning building and then not like uh, kicks down the struts on the roof to drop it down on him there's a lot of real creativity here in it and while there are obviously moments where she seems superhuman in her sort of abilities, uh, many when it involves her kicking people halfway across the screen, um, it is all pretty sort of grounded and what you believe that she is capable of doing. So, um, but the finale somehow manages. To, we have this great action scene when they do the fuel depot, and then we have the finale, which just seems to be like where the city is now under siege from the Japanese army, and it just seems to build constantly we have Richard Ning doing that bit where he's got the spear cannon that doesn't work and we've got um, all these other the other bits where everyone seems to be fighting at least 20 people at once um, I just really love that whole siege sequence at the end I think it was just really great even though we have all these great moments uh, leading up to it including like Richard Ning with the big hammer his chosen weapon of choice um He's uh, sneaking up behind a henchman to go and donk him on the head. I thought that's still funny for some reason. So. <laughs> donk. <laughs> donk. <laughs> I like that. Um, it's a very rubbery looking hammer, but it is, the fact is just so oversized. There's something very comical in it. It's the same way that when you see Colossus eating with a tiny spoon in Deadpool, it's just funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the juxtaposition. Yes, exactly. That's, that's the posh word to use. Um... But I've, I mean, I've seen this film like so many, so many times, and I think it just never gets old. I mean, it's just a, a super fun and breezy uh, ride throughout. It never really slows itself down. It doesn't get caught in melodrama and questionable romance angles. It just knows what it needs to do, and it just sets out to be this rip roaring adventure. And I think that's what it more than delivers upon. Um, it's just a shame that we would have to wait so many years to really get a follow up to it. So. Damn traditions. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's good and, and and entertaining, and it's got Michelle Yeoh in it, and the action is exceptional, um, and the production quality is really good as well, as I've said before. Um, so I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I own it now. I'm glad I found it for one pound fifty on eBay. That didn't surprise me. What that? They, I, put, they probably didn't know what they had. It's <laughs> like, really nice uh, for for a twenty year old DVD as well. It was sealed. Was it? Mm, I'm a lucky boy. Um, yeah, I remember back in the day when I started buying these because they were VHS and you had mm. the blue covers, uh, which were, I wanted to say the blue covers were the subtitled ones and the red the red covers were the dubbed ones. Right. Magnum Warriors was one of those rare ones where it didn't actually. It didn't have um, a dub, so it was kind of weird watching this time with ah, a dub. So yeah, the only the only real other than 
I think a lot of it is character development by exposition, which fine. We could also view that as a positive. Um, the only issue I have with it is that the DVD defaulted to the dub. <laughs> I had to stop <laughs> the controls of my DVD player, which I don't use that often these days. Are a little close together and I fucked up and I had to start it all again. I had to go in and set it to Chinese language and English subtitles, which annoyed me. But minor, minor first world problems there. But I'm not used to putting in an Asian film and it defaulting to the dub. I am on like the odd YouTube link and various other dodgy sites sometimes we have to use to watch these films. That's, getting the dub by default is sometimes the only way you can watch a film. Yeah, a lot of Japanese films are like that. You know, a lot of lot of um, sort of monster movies that we like to watch. You you have to go out your way to find the non English American dub because. But in this case, I was a bit. I was thinking, oh no, I haven't got a DVD that's dubbed. And I just, I just, I just hate these fucking cod British accents on top of people that clearly are not English. They do a real fair <laughs> job of the dub, though, because even like background characters have in-depth conversations, like when they're in the gambling den. Mm. They've got about five or six other people in the dub, like just <laughs> doing their lines as well. Yeah, they put a lot of effort into it, I and mean, I'm guessing this was a big deal film. I'm guessing this was a big success, um, and I'm shamed. But I'd never, not even heard of it, and and I can't even say, oh, that's because it's also known by is it Dynamite Warriors or something or some yeah. some other name, you know? It's not, no, it's not that. I just missed it. Which is weird because the only real sort of use of Dynamite is when uh, we see Richard Ning's character throw the pin from a grenade and then hold <laughs> while holding the grenade next to his head. Yeah. I yeah, there's not much magnificentness going on really either. <laughs> just, I did, what you don't think that they were like just came and saw and kicked ass and they, I don't know they were magnificent when they did it. Oh, may, maybe, but that kind of name, I was, I may, maybe that's why I was a little maybe I was, I was expecting it to be from an older time. Okay, so I, like uh, the, the 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 sort of an older period. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking this. Oh, I'm guessing this is set in the 1930s, something like that. 1940, early 1940s. Um, period wasn't what I was expecting at all. You know, called Magnificent Warriors. I was expecting it to be set in. I don't know some. But so all these titles are overblown, really, aren't they? Oh, and it's probably nothing like the title of the film in in Chinese anyway <laughs> um, probably someone like Lady Indiana Jones or something something like that yeah and then we but yeah however good it was a good one good choice cool. um, as always if you want to let us know what you uh, thought of the film you can do on Twitter Instagram Facebook come say hi to us uh, if you haven't done any as well, please do hit the like and subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, as it all helps raise the profile of the show. And you can also check out our full archive episodes at our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. But, Stephen, it is obviously your turn to choose next. What are you going to choose? I am torn between two films. Okay. <laughs> and one of them I know you'll easily be able to find, and one of them I really want you to see... After something that after you, something you watched during Anthony Wong month, um, but as you're going to potentially be off the grid, I'm going to go for the easier one for you to watch, and I'm going to go for a Studio Ghibli film. 
Okay. And I'm going to go for my second favourite Studio Ghibli film. So I'm I'm not making you watch My Neighbour Totoro. But I am going to ask you to watch Kiki's Delivery Service. Yay! How Cause, fantastic. Because I know it's a film that you like as well. I do really like it. And I, will, I especially like the dub of this one. Um, mainly because they correct the character of the cat. Yeah, and we've got you know the dub, and I won't, I, I wouldn't even mind watching the dub. It's got Kirsten Dunst, um, uh, Janan Garofalo, and the great Debbie Reynolds are all part of that. So yeah, it's a really, it's one of those ones which was done with a lot of love, and not just random voice actors. You know, they really they bought in Hollywood, didn't they? Literally with Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, I remember like Keys Lewis. I remember from like way back in the early days of like having the internet. You go into like anime sites and people talking about it this and fruits basket it was just like one that uh everyone seemed to be talking about it. i remember being very in vogue and of course we having no way to see it over here in the uk yeah. so uh no one 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 of my favorite films ever spoilers so um there's also a live action which i was thinking of going to but it's just not a patch this is, it's a classic movie i feel like some animation i don't bring in enough animation i know it's a bit of a cheat doing a miyazaki movie <laughs> we haven't done one of them for a while no last one we did was obviously castle cagliostro so yep um so you know we we will eventually you know, this this will never end until we've covered most of them so anyway that's that's the choice so i thought that'd be nice holiday watching for you um like low hassle sometimes i know i pick films it's probably quite hard for you to find <laughs> however i will spoilers the film I was going to ask, we were going to pick, and I will pick for a future choice. Um, do you remember you really enjoyed Motorway? Yes. Um, so I was going to go for um, uh, Soi Jang's film before that called Accident. But I've just realised that I mean, I've got a pretty obscure Hong Kong release. I don't even know it's on any streaming service. So uh, I will try and find it. Yeah. Then, so, um, well, just, just, like... just say that's in the list for the future. But Kiki's Delivery Service, I think, is... a will be a nice change of pace for all of us. So, make sure you join us next time for Geeky's Delivery Service. Um, but until then, thank you as always for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Stephen. Pleasure as always. And we'll be back very soon with another episode. But until then, good night. Hey! Hey! This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.